Greetings and welcome to season number two of Stamper Cinema. I am so excited to be starting a brand new season doing this podcast. I am, I don't even know what the emotion that I've got, but I imagine it's excitement. I imagine it's shit. I, I, I honestly am at a loss for words. And when I bring in my guest, he's probably, probably going to be able to explain him a lot better than I can, but I'm, 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 I'm just so excited and I'm so honored and I'm so proud and I'm humbled and I'm thankful and appreciative that you guys listen to these episodes. And the fact there's a second season is only because of you. And I had no idea what this podcast was going to be when I started it. And quite frankly, this is our second season. I still don't. But I think that's part of the fun. And I appreciate each and every one of you that are going for this ride. So Season two, we're going to do some different things. We're going to shake it up a little bit. We're going to try to have a few different experiments, but there are going to be a lot more episodes, a lot more guests. But there's only one way that I could have started the second season, and that would have been bringing on, you know, that's right, kind of kind of my informal co-host, and that would be Mr. John Rowe. John Rowe, how are you, buddy? Hey, hey, I'm pretty good, man. Yeah, doing well. Glad to be here. 2021, we made it, people. We made it. Happy New Year to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And happy, happy belated birthday. You had a birthday that oh, just happened. Thank you. You were nice enough to text me on my birthday and remember. Uh, really felt special. Uh, yeah, feels good. 30. Oh, shoot, I just forgot. No, 36. 36 now, so I'm past 35. Mm-hmm. I can kind of remember when I turned 30, and it was like, all right, now I'm in my 30s. And now half of this, I guess more than half of it's over. So it was like, how do you feel? It's kind of like, I guess that's when you kind of could break it down to like in a simpler term. It's not like, I guess we're halfway done. It's been pretty good. It's been a pretty good ride. Halfway done. No. <laughs> Being 36 ain't nothing. You're still a baby. The best years still haven't come because I refuse to believe that my best years at 42 have already passed. Yeah, you know what? My 20s were fun. My 30s were even better. But my 40s so far have been really, really great. I've got a kid and I'm doing different things and experiencing the world from a different different perspective. But you know what? I still think I'm, uh, I still think I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of handsome. And now I've got a Peloton. So I'm getting, I'm getting in shape. So, you know, that, that, that's, that's my take. Yeah, it's 2021. It's a new beginning. It's a new it, beginning. There's a vaccine out, you know, like there, there, there's a lot. We still got to be safe. We still have, you know, gotten used to a life where we can also listen to podcasts, you know, and take a little time. We're going to spend a little more time indoors and be safe as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this year is going to be exciting, and uh, I'm excited that we'll be coming together and meeting up and having long conversations. Yeah. Have we have we talked about what the movie – have we even mentioned what the movie is we're doing no, yet? No, no, we'll, we'll get there. I think this is going to be – I mean, this is a season premiere, so I imagine this is going to be an episode that we'll be, we'll be chatting for, for a minute or two. Okay. But, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna, yep. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say this right now because I dropped that f bomb. So my season two resolution: less profanity. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. You know, you try anyway. Try to use. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah. No. 
I will try to use less profanity this season, but we'll see. But that's my that's my season two resolution. That's that's great. I don't have any. If if anybody was wondering, I don't have any. Uh, I, I I'm pretty set up. I've gotten comfortable. Last year, the first year, our first year was great, just because I felt like that it was just there were times where we were able to kind of find some form within the Bill and Ted podcast and kind of get some rhythm. And then we took on projects like the Ted Lasso, where it's just like, how do you deal with ten hours of material? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I will tell anybody's listening. I, I think there's things we talked about we could do better, and I'm excited about how to figure those things out. You know, yeah. especially uh, as we tackle series throughout the year. Right. So. I think this is a perfect segue. I think so, John. Tell us a little bit about one the movie we're going to be talking about, and two a little bit about the project that we're going to be trying to undertake this year. Okay, sure. If you don't mind, so, of course. Yeah, no, no. It's this film. I mean, this film, I'd, I'd like to, whew, you know, this is Star Wars. All right, people, we're going to take down Star Wars. We're going to cover it all the way through. We're going to go chronologically. If you aren't familiar with Star Wars, you may need to know, I guess, one little detail was that there were three films that were the middle sequence that were filmed first. And so many other parts have been filmed around it. That would be only a small little detail if you had no idea what star wars is we're gonna start from episode one uh a fan of menace and i think the best i can't think of any i don't know if you have any idea where to start with this but i i was thinking about going back to 1999 i want to go back in time i think that's the best place to begin with that and again for the listeners as john just said yeah, that is going to be our 2021 project. We are going to be tackling the entire cinematic Star Wars universe. We're, and, and John will probably talk a little bit about some of the books and some of the animated things that happened along the way. But each episode that John is on this year, you know, and maybe, maybe, maybe not every episode because we might bring him back for other things because, you know, I mean, it's John Bones and you guys love him and uh, I love him too. But the project that we're going to be doing is throughout this year, each episode that he and I do together, we're going to be chatting about a different Star Wars film. And as he said, we're going to do it chronologically. And it's going to be fun. I'm excited about it. I haven't revisited the prequel series in quite some time. And uh, he and I think I think we're going to have a, a fun discussion. But he couldn't have been more accurate if he if he tried. We the best place to do it is to start back in 1999, put us in the world, put us where each of us were at that time. So what do you got? How do you want to start this off? Well, one, and you might have this later, but I think it might just be good to throw it out now is some of the films that came out that year. It was heavy loaded. And that made me even think about, I mean, Woodstock happened that year. When I think back to like 1999, it's up there with the summer of 1969, I guess, in a way of like, there's not too many years that stand out. But 1999 does. And I think in film and music is also represented. Where were you in 1999? First off, how old were you? Uh, I was 14 and I was a eighth grader, which is kind of important because in uh, Texas, eighth grade is junior high, kind of like senior. 
and then you go to be a freshman. So you're kind of still like king shit walking around, mm-hmm. you know, eighth grade. You're So that's where I was. I was in Pflugerville. Now, where were you, Andrew? So 1999 was a really interesting year in my life. So when this movie came out in 1999, I was in Bermuda, but this movie released in may of 1999 and it was released the final day that i was going to be in bermuda before i was going to be visiting my mother in the united states so when this movie came out in 1999 i saw this movie in bermuda at midnight and then hopped on a plane at like 10 o'clock in the morning flew to the states to like spend the summer with my mother and then went to like an eight o'clock showing of this movie in the United States. So I saw this movie in two different countries on the same day in May of 1999. So if I was 14, are you 22? I was 20. I was 20 years old. Yep. I was 20. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that draws me back to, it's a little bit of that Christmas episode, how Star Wars and flights and Christmas times are kind of a, I guess in a way, I always want to go back to that and, and the idea of like picking Star Wars, to me, Star Wars is a family film. Like Star Wars is something I used to watch in the holidays. Like it's not a Christmas movie, but it's something that I think TV people knew to put on because everybody could sit down and watch it. And so I think that's one of those things with Star Wars. It's like, especially people of our generation, like we just seen it so many times and, and i've gotten to enjoy it and it is a kind of a family film yeah no i i it, it, it is a family film and i don't know if we're really ready to i don't know i, I guess now is kind of the time to segue or transition into it but there's a difference between being a family movie with the originals were and then kind of in my take my impression the, the family aspect that the prequels went into because tonally i feel that there is a shift. I feel there's a very definitive shift that the like tone wise that the prequels had versus the original trilogy. But before we start really getting into some subtext, yeah, yeah. We'll, let's we'll get there. Yeah, um, we know the movie we're going to talk about. We know the time that we were talking about. But 1999, as you stated, was a a wild year, right? You started to see a post impeached bill clinton and then the shift that the republicans were doing uh so you had an element of that you had some really really good art house movies that were coming out around that in the same summer like american beauty and uh other movies that were going to be coming out around that same time so even art wise you saw some different things that were going on but it felt i mean it was the it was the end of the 90s right and y2k Y2K, right? I mean, there were a lot of things happening in 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 that year. So it was a wild, wild time. The world at that point, I think, had already been exposed to the Matrix, right? And that, oh, I think that's one of the ones that was getting. To, oh yeah, the Matrix was so huge that year. And so to put myself and to put yourself at 20 years old to watch this movie, and then go and see the Matrix, which is something so new and fresh, and it will come back around to this, but it was, there's so many great movies that came out this year and how it could influence your ideas of how you saw this movie. Yeah. But that's how I felt like when I was 14 years old and I saw the matrix 
and I was probably too young to see the matrix by some people's standards, but, uh, it was, it was awesome and original and so cool. Um, and I had this movie and, uh, it was, well, it was, I, I found it enjoyable, but I didn't like it as much as the matrix, even though I was a huge star Wars fan. Right. Like I love star Wars. Like I felt dedicated. I almost felt like I was betraying the star Wars franchise by like in the matrix. Mm-hmm. Now, did you see this movie in the movie theater? Oh yeah, I, man! I almost went to do it. I'm pretty sure I still got the ticket stub. Yeah. It would have been tinsel down. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll, I'll try to dig around uh, before the next one and uh, see if I can find. Uh, I'll pretty much save every ticket stub. Uh, I can remember for a long, long time. So I know you're a huge music fan, and you kind of—I don't know if you kind of alluded to it or if it was just my like picking it up like through the the internet waves but mm-hmm. let's look back at some of like the the big songs of 1999 cuz i bet okay. i will say a song title and you will either a be able to tell me who sang it or at least be able to hum the 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 song itself so yeah yep. live in la vida loca sure that was Ricky Martin yep genie in a bottle Christina Aguilera smooth uh, Alien Ant Four? Is that the was that the cover? No, like, no, 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 not uh, Smooth uh, Criminal. Uh, smooth. Uh, is that no, no, no? It, it's not. That's not the one Santana did with. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, featuring uh, Rob. Can't remember what uh, that guy's is it name Rob is. Rob Thomas. Yeah, Blink. Uh, Matchbox Twenty. Yeah. I I want it that way. Uh, Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yeah. That's a great video. <laughs> I think, like if you if you're a parent play that for your kids they love it they uh i got some nieces and nephews and they i i try to they're about ranges eight from uh there's about four of them from eight to three and i try to encourage them to get in dance battles with each other <laughs> and, <laughs> so just if you if you get a large group of kids together that's a that's a good little pe trick old school 101 i love it i love it my name is oh eminem uh huh. Steal my, uh, steal my sunshine. You could steal my sunshine. That's got me. Um, well, uh, you, you had, you had the, you had the tempo. Like I said, as long as you could get that vibe. The band was called Len. And then lastly, one that I think is uh, near and dear to your heart. What's my age again? Oh yeah. <laughs> What's my age again? Yeah, Blink One Eighty Two. Real like whenever that came out. I really thought that it was gimmicky. Like they didn't have the chops. Like, and then I was like, Oh yeah, they have that song. Damn it. Like that was a good mm, song. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, come on, man. They're just, you know, this is a, the video that is, you know, it's just, it's on TL. So I just thought that basically the video was covering for the music, even though the song is good. And, uh, I thought the guys were just doing it for publicity, but I will go back. This is another thing I want to just put out there. Now, John Rowe at 36 knows a lot more than John Rowe at 14. Does. <laughs> right yeah and things play out so uh blink 182 well done guys y'all 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 were a great band y'all made it now you mentioned trl and this is important because i had had lived had been living in bermuda i had no idea what trl was until i came back to the united states and i spent my summer you know, with my mother until my uh, my college uh, transcript came back from Bermuda College. And uh, this is no lie. I 
I spent two years at Bermuda College majoring in uh, movie watching and drinking is really what what I did the first two years nice. of my time at Bermuda College. And when my report card came in, I was visiting my mother and the report card came in 1.18 GPA, <laughs> like barely just over a D average in college. And my mother got this report card and she's like, Andrew, or at that point, it probably would have been Andrew John. Cause you know, when you're in trouble, <laughs> you get the first yeah, and yeah. middle name, right? Yeah, you gotta bring, and, it, gotta bring it home. Yeah. Like what is going on? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm 19 years old, 20 years old. And I was living in Bermuda, you know, and it, every day felt like a vacation. So I'd hang out with my friends. I would go to class. And that was the same thing that plagued me in high school is I would go to class, but I wouldn't do any of the work. You know, I would just go and school was kind of like a social aspect, but when you're in college, it's an entirely different thing versus being in high school. And when the grades came out, my mom's like putting forth money. She's like, yeah, there is no way in hell I'm going to invest any more money into your education if this is what you're going to do. So I'll give you two options. One, you know, get a full-time job. Two, you're going to have to join the military. And I think my mother thought in our heart of hearts that I would just get a full-time job, you know, like, all right, well, you know, he's going to, he, he's going to go to work and, you know, he's going to figure it out. But that night, you know, after that conversation, I rented a couple movies from Blockbuster. One was Alien and, or rather one was Aliens, the sequel, and two was Full Metal Jacket. And I watched a couple movies about Marines and Full Metal Jacket was about a journalist. And I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to join the military. Uh, damn it. I'm all, now. And I did it again. Now I am swearing. But um, but to bring it back to TRL is I wasn't doing a lot during the day. So I turn on TV and that was also the summer of the world, the Women's World Cup when the United States with Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain. And, oh, shoot, I forget everybody else, but really it was Brandy Chastain with, you know, um, her her winning on the uh, the penalty kick and then obviously uh, Mia Hamm. But, but that summer was a, a crazy, crazy time. I just want to pause for a quick second. I'm glad you distinguished them because I do think very often people know the name Mia Hamm, but they confuse it with Chastain because mm. they remember the photo. So I'm really glad. Happy that you recognize them both. Yeah, absolutely. That was one hell of a World Cup. And it was and we great. Got it. Yeah, yeah. United States got it. Man, so many things. Like, life comes down to these choices. That's one thing I this movie and Star Wars in general kind of is one of the themes of it is you got to make these choices, right or wrong, good or bad, what situation. Your mom gave you a hard choice. You know, you're going to get a job or you're going to go into the military he went out and rented those movies but i just it, like i said aliens i wonder if you would have written like glengarry glenn, glenn ross you might have gone into mattress room got a job the next day <laughs> and you would have been a regional manager right now dude. right yeah you made that choice to go into the military you did that to yourself but you know it's, you rented the wrong movie and it all comes down to these little things 
Yeah. Did I, did I make the wrong decision? Because had I done that, I don't what, think so. we wouldn't prob- be here now. We wouldn't be here now. We wouldn't yeah. be here now. Yeah. So you made the right. And that's where you got to let things play out. Right. Sometimes you got to take a deep breath. Everybody just breathe, take a deep breath, you know, and just realize everything's going to be okay. Tomorrow the sun will rise. There you go. Poetry by John Rell. Thank All right. you. All right. So I'm in a very I, mythical kind of idea. The, a lot of the Jedi teachings have been on me lately. So, uh, dude, you're wearing a Jedi Master robe right now. <laughs> I get, I get, you know, I didn't realize that. I think it's so subliminal at this point. They are comfortable. I don't know. Have you, do you have a robe at the house? Not like anymore. Not anymore. Sure. I used to. I, you know, I'm going to put that on my Christmas list. And maybe when like I'm like five years older and my daughter gets, you know, like, uh, SNL had a whole thing like this past year where like the mother, all she got, oh shit, I forgot the present that she got. It was a rope. She got a rope and <laughs> like, like the, everybody's singing about what they got. And then the mom's like, and I got a rope. <laughs> and, and, and like the kid's like, I got this. Yeah, yeah, race car tracker. Yeah. yeah and she's uh, like, and I got a rope. Um, yeah. So yeah, when, when Elliot's a couple years older and I'm probably going to be getting robes each and every year, that's, that's what I see in my future. Another idea, and I'm going to throw this out there. Yeah. What if you started getting her robes like for Christmas? Like just as your little dad thing, it's just like, Hey, this is your Christmas robe this year. And they just yeah. have like something on the back that's, you know, that year she was into or something like that. It's like, this is your yeah. And then, then in the morning she's got her robe on, she's drinking orange juice and you got your, you don't drink coffee. Uh, are you, 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 you look at you like remembering that I don't drink coffee. Yeah. You, do you drink tea? Is that like a British thing? Um, well, it is a British thing. And obviously listening to me, I, I don't sound like your quintessential like British individual, but I, I have a lot of my father in me and my father, my father drinks tea. And although I don't drink tea on a daily basis, I will drink tea, you know, from time to time, if it's sure. available, you know, I'll drink it, but I, I just, I, I don't enjoy the taste of proper coffee. I like coffee flavored beer, you know, like I like, I like some of that, but coffee as a whole, not a fan, but I do enjoy tea. I do. All right. Well, what's this movie about? Should we start with a crawl? I guess so. Um, I mean, ultimately this movie, it almost, I think in some ways it, it almost be like what it could have mean to you or mean to me in a lot of ways, the basic storyline of this movie are, man, where to, where to even start? It's tough to start. It's tough to okay. figure it out. Well then give me a second. And if I may, for the listeners, for those of you that have ever seen a star Wars movie, you know, the movie begins with an opening crawl, right? And it gives you a little bit about some context that you're about to see when the movie begins. The opening crawl that you see in this movie is, as I quote, turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights 
the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy to settle the conflict. That is really hard to say when you're drinking an IPA, which will dry the hell out of you. Nice. What are you drinking? Oh, I guess this is an important thing for us to chat about because, you know, this is what we do. Well, we're doing we're doing a Star Wars movie, right? Which you get a lot of lightsaber fighting, you know, a lot of a lot of fighting. So I wanted to oh, find tons, a, tons of fighting, loads of loads of fighting. So I wanted to do a beer that I thought would pair well. So the name of my beer is called Slap Fight. Mm. <laughs> so it is a IPA made here locally in Atlanta by Monday Night Brewing Company. It's called Slap Fight. And it's a uh, West Coast IPA. Very, very hoppy. One that will dry the hell out of you and give you severe cotton mouth. Very delicious, but probably not the beer you drink if you're about to read anything. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you reading that. Uh, Those are always important sequences. Almost like the Bond beginnings. It's like, that's the information you're given. And some of the different things I remember from it that stood out were the things about them calling them greedy. Like that was one of those key words that I thought was big. Um, but yeah, the story starts with a trade federation taxing shipping rights. So this movie goes through a time when the Jedi are in power. Like they're, they're very strong. Everything's great. One of the things about the old films were it was time of the empire. Well, they wanted to present a version of the time of the Senate when hopefully things are good, you know, when things are peaceful and to fall kind of the way the movie goes is you start at a time of peaceful at this planet called Naboo, where they're about to be taken over by the Trade Federation. They escape. They take a little pit stop in Tatooine. They're able to leave Tatooine, get to Coruscant, which is the capital. So that'd be like Rome, New York. And then the queen makes a courageous, daring move, goes back to Naboo to defend her home planet. So I would say that would be the easiest way I could lay out the movie. Sure. I, I think I think that that's all of that is very accurate. The and as we are going on this journey because of the fact that we we know of the stakes, but our two central characters that we're really focusing on are a couple of Jedi guys, one of which is a name that we we know very, very well, and that would be Mr. Obi-Wan, a.k.a., or rather, Mr. Ben Kenobi, a.k.a. Obi-Wan Kenobi, who was no longer an old, crusty white dude, but now a mid-20-something Ewan McGregor. His teacher slash master, Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson, who you know from, well, shit, just about every movie ever made. Take, uh, yeah, if, take, if, take if, your pick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if you don't know who Liam Neeson is, then you're obviously you shouldn't be listening to this podcast because and he's I think everywhere. That's an area of an excitement with some of the casting that had happened, and I think that's something to appreciate. I actually, if you have, if you don't mind looking up who the casting director is, I thought she did a great, or he, whomever they were, did a great job. I thought Ewan McGregor at that time was like the big name, and he's going to play Obi Wan, and you could see it perfectly, and. uh and Liam Neeson was getting involved. Natalie Portman, she hadn't quite gotten that big, but, and, and honestly, some of the younger people, probably like me at 14, hadn't seen The Professional yet. So like I hadn't seen Natalie Portman's early work, but it was well set up. Like this movie had a lot 
to take on its shoulders. And a lot of it was developing new characters and world building. And a part of starting the franchise was also having to have people that were going to be around for a long time. And and with Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman, they really nailed it. I think they really got those people in their prime. Yeah, I, and I think starting with the casting might be a good way to kind of like get into this movie. Now, the the casting director, because you had asked, her name was, or I assume her, this is my apologies, I'm assuming by the name of Robin, it's a female, but I don't know. It could be a male. I don't know. My daughter's name is Elliot, so I don't know. But the, the casting director is Robin Gerland. Thank you. But one of the things, and you and I, as we will discuss here shortly, we we di- we we differ a lot on this movie when it comes to certain opinions. But one thing that I will say is, with the cast, I give I give I give the movie a B plus. I think they they there are more there are more hits than uh, swings and hits, than swings and misses with the casting. And uh, Liam Neeson, perfect choice. The fact that they were able to bring back Ian McDermott to play a younger version of of um, uh, the Emperor. Well, at this point, not an Emperor, but Palpatine. Chancellor Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, we're going to have, a, I guess, going through, as we go through, we'll have an you know, open, open movie. You know, like we don't care about worrying about the spoilers palpatine's the chancellor Got yeah, yeah yeah at this point you've had over 20 years to watch this movie if you haven't yeah. if, you, if you don't know i'm sorry we're you're gonna have shit spoiled for you i think this movie there's been more time between now and this movie coming out than people waited between the original coming or return of the jedi because the return of the jedi came out in 83 is that what you had said in the correct yeah so between like 83 and 99, it's been 20 years. It's been longer, a longer distance apart from when they made Return of the Jedi and this movie came out. And in that time, there's been so many more movies that have come out. And I think where this movie used to be heavily criticized, I think Star Wars is easily criticized. The last movie got criticized, believe it or not. Uh, people didn't like it. And I think in a way, this movie, at least hopefully, what I want things I'm going to talk about and we can't disagree on this but i think this movie is not as bad as people remember it mm. i think now i think some of the weight that it used to be under has shifted it's it's not as bad this is gonna be a fun conversation because i wholeheartedly in my heart of hearts disagree yeah but uh and i think that for the listeners i think this is gonna be fun because you and i are gonna have a little a minor friendly conflict here well this this is the the same this is the whole meaning of the show it's like the jedi and the sith what teachings how are you going to teach your daughter are you only going to teach her about the times when the jedi were underpowered and they were under strength and they were fighting their way to get back are you going to tell them about the time whenever they were in power and they created an age limit and they were being discriminate to a prophecy child to try to keep him out you know like they the Anybody who doesn't know that the Jedi at this time have become arrogant and didn't want the guy who had the more midichlorians than Yoda, <laughs> the promised child. He walks in and he he's like set, you know, he's like 10, 11, whatever. He's, he's young. Yoda lives to be 900. 
if Yoda walked in at 100, are they going to say, you're, you're, you know what, you're too old. You're too old to complete the training. But no, this kid comes in at 10. They're like, no, he's too old. They, they just want him out. And the, so that's the, I think that's one of the biggest things to start with is when you get into watching this movie, understand that the Jedi are, are just, it, they're in power. Their building is so tall and it overlooks everything. And the Sith are up and coming. And yes, they are evil. But what this movie is really trying to do, and I think this is the thing that there, there's so many little scenes and little words and little things that this movie's trying to set it up to make it hard for Anakin to switch over. When I was a kid, I had a trampoline and I used to just jump for days and sword fight and pretend like I was Anakin Skywalker. And I had my, in my mind how the movies were going to be. And then when I saw this movie, it wasn't that. The kid was younger than me. And Natalie Portman's like my age or older. And I'm like, I could be that guy. And I got mad at the kid. And boom, <laughs> that, kid, that kid never like really acted again. His career was over yeah i take it i take it on this role shout out to that kid because like that kid he probably had no idea at that time i know maybe maybe one or two other movies but the amount of pressure come on that was almost like a sacrificial lamb that kid coming on there's no way he could have made another movie and he wasn't going to be anakin skywalker little boy again his movie crew is over and it's sad so there's so much for me to unpack with with what you just said, but I will start with the the world that I want Elliot to live in. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So Thank you. I, I want Elliot to live in a world where good movies are appreciated and we we don't try to apologize for bad films. But uh, just, you know, just just my take. But where I will go to segue into it is Jake Lloyd, because I think it's important to talk about Jake Lloyd, young Jake Lloyd, who played Anakin Skywalker. While I think his performance was poorly directed and his acting choices weren't very, very strong, it's hard for me to beat up on an 11-year-old actor. And I won't do that. I won't beat him up. I don't think he was a good actor. I I, I don't like 100% of the decisions that, that he made in this movie, but I won't beat up an 11-year-old actor because he's an 11-year-old actor. And so much of that goes to, one, the casting director, Robin Gerland, who I feel uh, needs to um, hold some of the blame, and two the writer slash director in this case george lucas who could have given better better lines to recite and give her given better direction on how to say certain lines but i do have enormous sympathy for uh, for jake lloyd because his life even though he had done jingle all the way with uh, arnold schwarzenegger uh, so Oh, okay. Uh, he had, he had Don't done. forget, Sinbad was in that movie. He, he's. Oh yeah, that's right. He, yeah, that's right. And Sinbad, one, yeah. one of the most underrated actors of uh, and comedians of the nineties. Yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot. Yeah, uh, R.I.P. I believe Sinbad just passed away. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. That's breaking news to me. That is sad. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna fact check it because I want to say I posted something on Facebook about his passing. Uh, Sinbad actor. Yeah, he uh, 
Or maybe maybe he didn't pass away. Something happened with Sinbad. If you bring him back to life, I'm going to... I think I, I, think I just said that. Yes! Depending on what time, of, what time of day or what day you listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, something but, happened to Sinbad this past year. But well, let's, uh, get out, let's talk about Jake Lloyd. Yeah, no more about Sinbad. So, but by the way, so, we love Sinbad. Sinbad is amazing. We do love Sinbad. Yeah. yeah, we like to party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but with Jake Lloyd, some of my thoughts on it, and throughout his acting in it, yeah, it's it's the writers who wrote the lines. But something since Game of Thrones, the last season that really got drilled in my head was like, you only have so much film time. So the words, what, the words are very important. What is said. And I, I do think whenever you break down the words and you don't judge him on his acting, but what he's trying to say, you get a lot of different meanings. And, and I did a rewatch today. And I'm pretty sure, and I'll go out on a limb, every single little thing he says comes true. Like every, you know, just like to the little details and stuff like that. There's, there's a scene I remember I didn't like as a kid. It was childish. And especially when you put it up to movies like The Matrix, there's a scene where they're about to do the pod, the, the pod, right? Like he's, he's kind of getting his pod going, Anakin is. And uh, Jar Jar gets kind of stuck in there. And he is the dumbest scene in the movie, right? But Anakin says to him, like, hey, Jar Jar, don't, don't stick your tongue in the thing. And Jar Jar does it afterwards. He says it. Then he gets his hand actually stuck. Then he shocks his tongue. And it's a dumb scene. It's stupid. It's not well acted. It, it's about the CGI. Maybe we're probably down the road getting into the CGI factor of this movie, but... What it was set up to show was this this young kid who's as strong in midichlorians as Yoda sees the future. That's how he is able to win the pot race later. There, there are little scenes within it that the words are there. And that's I guess that's how I feel about the movie. So if anybody can't tell in the pot about an hour in, uh, some of Andrew and I's um, interest within the movie are coming out. How did you think Anakin's story would be told? Like, do you remember? Can you go back and remember? Like, I can kind of remember thinking, like, oh, he'd be young as a Jedi. It, I think there were a couple games out to kind of segue to some of the games. There uh, Jedi Republic out, and there were some of the uh, uh, Jedi Academies and stuff like that. So there's some video games out. So it's like, all right, if Anakin's going to do something, to me it was always like, bam, bam, bam. It's like he's Jedi. He turns, he's killing people. It didn't go that way. But I guess in a basic way, that's how I saw. You remember how you saw Anakin and his his story to Vader? Yeah. So when my my impression of Anakin was based on what Alec Guinness, the actor, slash the character Obi-Wan Kenobi, what he told Luke, when I met your father, he was already an accomplished pilot, right? So in my head, when I thought of Anakin Skywalker, I thought of him as either a 20-something, maybe 30-something, but somewhere between a 19-year-old to 30-year-old dude, accomplished pilot, before he was seduced. And that's because that was based on the, the information that we had at the time. 
And when the prequels come out, although I thought it was an interesting take that no, no, we're going to meet Anakin as a, an eight or a nine or a 10 year old. I thought that was interesting right off the bat. And the, you know, like I, it gets tricky because of the fact that like, I am torn between how I process this movie after the adrenaline wore off uh, or at the moment when I saw this movie, because when I saw this movie and this movie came like came out, I drank the Kool-Aid. I was really excited about it. But as time has gone on and I really think about where I was before I, I, I saw that original trailer uh uh, when I went to go see Meet Joe Black in the movie theater, because that was the movie. Brad that, Pitt, shout yeah, out. Yeah. So <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, man. Yeah. So I, don't know, movie. I don't know if you knew about that, but that was the movie that Meet Joe Black was the movie where the first time anybody ever saw the trailer for episode one. And I went to go see that movie in the movie theater because I knew they were going to be dropping a preview for Star Wars episode one. But I was caught up in the moment. You know, I was really caught up in the moment. I'm, I was excited. There was going to be a brand new Star Wars movie. All right, cool. Anakin Skywalker. He's going to be a 10 year old. Well, that kind of shatters my idea. But fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to roll with this. Let, let's do it. At 20 years old, you're already looking at the casting. <laughs> no, I just, well, yeah. 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 Yeah, I was. Yeah. Well, you were, you did minor in college and movie watching and beer. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's what got you here today, man. You know, everything's got a decision. Yeah. You mentioned TRL. And I remember there weren't so many previews. Like it wasn't like there was YouTube and you could just click on something and watch a trailer. But I remember on TRL, it was the first time I ever saw like orchestra music. Like mm. it, the, the song for like uh, Dula Fates. Yeah, it it made TRL top ten, and it's just like it was. It was it, it's we it's different. Like we named all those bands that were playing. This song made it as well. Yeah, and that those are some of the first visuals I really remember. This trailer, I think, in a way, it was set up. I really appreciate. It. There's not a lot. There's a lot of still shots. There's not a lot set other than by Yoda, other by Mace Windu. Well, the uh, fear leads to hate. Um, you know, like and like, what was it? Uh, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. Yep, and that was that was one of the line that 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 line. You know, you had you had Yoda who wasn't quite as cg now as if you were to watch that movie it wasn't he it was kind of like puppeteered cg now if you go back and watch this movie you see a redesigned yoda which drives me insane but that's again there's so much to unpack it, we're this, gonna keep going we're early this is yeah. early stage yeah. yeah i still want to start with when uh the two jedi okay so Right after the credits, right? All right, here we go. And now we're going to start again at the beginning. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's just do it, man. Let's go live. We're going live. All right, so one of the cool things I thought about right after the credits is you see an envoy embassy ship or whatever you want to call it, and it's not flying away from 
you know, a republic. It's flying to something. It's going to like a peaceful diplomatic mission. That's another thing where I just think that they were like, you know what? This is a symbolic thing. We really got so many scenes. We're going to set it up. And then you see the Jedi and they got these hoods on their heads and they're not, you know, they don't really say anything. So that's what Jedi have become. Whatever your idea was of a Jedi or who they were, this is what they've become. This this is what they are in the story going forward. So it's important to know that this is the beginning. They don't say anything. They just kind of walk through. What's cool is they get into that that little room and they toss their heads off or their little hats off, and they have a conversation. The first conversation they have is, Hugh McGregor's like, "I sent something in the future," and Qui Gon is just like, "He's like, I don't sense anything." And don't let it don't let it come at the cost of the present. And I really think that's almost like George Lucas's way of saying, "Don't worry about those last four films at the cost of this film. <laughs> like, don't worry about those those other four films. The first lines are <laughs> worry about the present. Let's think about now. But I also think that's a Jedi teaching. And that's one of those things throughout the film that says an arc. And it's the first lines is a conversation about, do you worry about the future or do you worry about right now? Do, you know, don't, don't let worrying about tomorrow uh, mess in the way of today. So I just thought that was cool that it started out right out with that conversation. Like I, I think about, because I know exactly the scene you're talking about. He's like, uh, he takes off the hood and the first thing he has is that cliche line that is used far more effectively in the original series, but the, I've got a bad feeling about this. That's that's how it starts. And then Qui-Gon says, oh, I'm not feeling anything and blah, 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 blah. And he's trying to dispel Obi-Wan. And I've thought about this and I've thought about this and I've thought about this, but honestly, the take I get from it, and I don't even know if it was what was intended by George Lucas, but I love, I love Liam Neeson, but what I got out of that scene, what I get out of it now, he was a shitty Jedi. He wasn't very good. He was not on top of the scenario of what was going on where Obi-Wan was aware shit ain't right right here there's something wrong that's happening and uh qui-gon was a little bit too confident a little bit too cocksure that he was in a position like all right i'm i'm the guy he didn't sense it he didn't get it and it's the same thing that in the end plagues him um, later on in the movie, it plagues him a little bit with uh, with Anakin. It plagues uh, plagues him with separating himself from Anakin in their fight against a far better fighter in um, uh, Darth Maul. In Darth Maul, and I, as much as I love Liam Neeson, I think he was his own worst enemy because he thought he had a level of power that he quite frankly did not have. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. But I think one thing to keep in mind with knowing the story, we know that he he comes back, he creates the voices. We know from his Jedi training that he he's somewhat discovering how to conquer death. So I do think there is a, a carelessness within him. And that's what I, th- I think in some ways, 
this movie is about the apprenticeships. There are so many apprentice in this movie. Uh, Darth Maul's an apprentice. Obi Obi Wan's an apprentice, and they're going to head to head. There's tons of parallels in. Anakin, we you know he's the up and comer coming from behind, just like in the Potteries. And uh, one thing with Qui Gon is he was the perfect person for Obi Wan because Obi Wan was the survivor in the long run, and I think he become. I, th- I just like to think that, and maybe this is my head canon, you know, like we're gonna keep going back around, but I like to think Qui Gon was not down with the teachings of the Jedi as strict as they were. That's why he was one to take on this kid and bring him to the temple, even though he was out of age. It, but like, that's who Qui-Gon was. And he was the perfect person to lead Anakin. I, I think every time they talk about, well, I, I tell you what, I'm just going to stop. Cause I'll keep going. <laughs> I'm just going to stop. I'm going to keep going. I'm just, Take I, everybody. Good night. Uh, no, I would no, no, no. no, no. I, I, the next one is Naboo. <laughs> I guess those are some of my little thoughts on Qui Gon. Um, just, I don't think he was a bad Jedi. I think he is meant to represent somebody who's bucking the system. Mm-hmm. The, the Jedi or an organization. He's the guy they. Ewan McGregor tells him, he's like, if you'd only, you know, if you'd only, you know, listen to him, you'd be on the council. And he tells Ewan McGregor, it's not all about that. You know, so he understands that he doesn't want to do the right things, but that's another thing with some of the things that go on within the film. The Jedi are pretty ruthless. They're, they don't really see humans as human. You know, like, they, I just think there's a lot... There's a lot of that that happens too, where, um, but we'll see when we get to Tatooine. Yeah. So you bring that up. And honestly, this was the only time, well, rather the, the prequels and then even the seven, eight, nine show what we think we, we know of the Jedi. They're, they're a disorganized entity. I'm sorry. They're they're not they're not organized. When we watch the original trilogy, we we have this maybe ideological perspective from Obi-Wan Kenobi that, you know, like, hey, this is you know, in the, the time of the Jedi, and this is what we did. And then Empire Strikes Back, we meet Yoda, and Yoda talks about like when I when you know when I had the council and you know I, I would train Jedi's, blah 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 blah. And then Return of the Jedi, you have a far more disciplined Luke Skywalker, and you've got this idea that Jedi were kind of like this kind of like the the sheriffs and uh Greek philosophical you know it's basically samurai yeah yeah samurai exactly and then you find out in the prequels that no they didn't have fuck all any idea what they were doing they had a giant temple but they couldn't foresee the sith they couldn't foresee anything and they were terrible at managing themselves they were a disorganized organization that that were responsible for the death of themselves and their own extinction, quite frankly. And, but I don't, even that being said, I don't believe that was the intention. I don't believe that was George Lucas's idea 
when I watch this, I, I, I feel, I feel that we, when we watch this, we try to give more credence and street cred to something that I don't even think George Lucas really knew what he was trying to tell. I think he, I feel that he wanted to have this idea of this be all end all great thing. And then I'm going to have these people. And then in a generation, make them mythology and, and it didn't work when I'm, I'm, I'm using the whole trilogy where I really honestly want to talk, talk about this one movie, but I have a hard time separating what I see with a Jedi in this movie into the original canon, which is 30, 35 year difference. And a lot of that is George Lucas is the, you know, the, the writer director, you know, him trying to expand a world in his own head, expand a world with a, a change in technology for special effects, change a world in different ideas that he came up with after the original trilogy of, oh, I would like to do this, like to do that. Um, and some, and, and I feel that he's trying to uh, put certain pegs in a puzzle that just doesn't fit. And it takes me out of the movie. And although I think there are certain elements that I love because it's Star Wars and I love the idea of the Jedi. I love the idea of uh, of, of the villains. I love the idea of, of robots. I love the idea of different little aliens trying to work in a, in a galaxy. But I always take, am taken out in every act of this movie where I'm like this, it, it just never, it never ever worked for me because of different things. And now I'm, I'm, I'm you know what? No, no, talk- stop, 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 stop. I'm happy yeah. to have you there. That's exactly where I wanted you. Cause you've said it all. You've said everything I've wanted you to say. Okay. It, it, you've accepted this movie and you said it, it didn't work for you and that's fine. Um, I, th- I think George Lucas, it, it was going to be tough. And I, <laughs> I, I appreciate everything you just said. Cause I think that's the opinion of a lot of people mm-hmm. that one thing to understand though, is this movie isn't like the Avengers or the matrix or any movie that started at the beginning this is an out of place film. It is out of place. They're trying to figure it out as they go. There's right. there's a middle structure, and I try to do a little research on how to how to think about this movie or quantify is like the expectations being so high because I don't think there's in any movie that expectations were higher. That I 100% agree. I don't think there's ever been a movie that's had higher expectations going into it. Well, I thought. Like some people wanted friends, you know, like the friends movie or some shit like that. Or there, that was, I think that might have been my first cuss word. <laughs> uh, and hopefully you didn't hear it. Uh, but, uh, but like things like The Matrix and like there were a lot of movies that were coming out and nothing had this high of, and it didn't make expectations. Now being 36, once again, like a lot of 
movies don't meet the expectations initially, but sometimes they grow. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest ones, and we've we've talked about these kind of the Dark Knight Rises. When it came out, nobody, everybody was mad at it. You know, people didn't like it. It wasn't as good as the Dark Knight. I fucking loved it. Well, I did too. Watched it twice in theaters. I don't know. I still love Dark Knight Rises. But this is one of those things within the movie. As Tom Hardy's star rises, does the movie The Dark Knight star rise? As Christian Bale keeps going, and then, you know, those next generation watch me like, oh. So it's like, when it came out, The Dark Knight Rises, if anybody can remember when that came out, to me, people have the same opinion of The Dark Knight Rises as The Phantom Menace. Oh, it's not as good. I didn't like it. I'm going to go with this journey with you. I'm going to I'm going to go with you on this one because I, I feel where you're going. I feel I feel your energy. Thank you. Don't stop believing. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. I disagree. But keep going. <laughs> you, you, well, you've already agreed with me that there has never been a more anticipated film. That is 100 percent correct. There has never been ever in the history of cinema, a more anticipated film than episode one, The Phantom Menace, which, by the way, is a terrible name. But there had never been a more anticipated movie than 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 this film. And it was always going to it was always going to be a monumentally difficult task. Wholeheartedly agree. I think The Phantom Menace is a great title. I think it's a tough one to figure out. Uh, anybody watching The Mandalorian, I think, appreciates what the episode names are called. So when you watch this movie, you have to give thought to what The Phantom Menace is. So to you, what is The Phantom Menace? A really, really bad name. For a movie. But within the movie, why would they title that? Why Why would they sign off? Like, I get why A New Hope is called The New Hope, even though it was Star Wars when it came out. They renamed it. So if the names are important... And you say the Phantom Menace is terrible. What? Do, why do you think the Phantom Menace is terrible? Okay, so I want I want to throw this out right now because I feel it's really important, not just about the Phantom Menace, but there is no such thing as a New Hope. That that is a title that was created in 1980, three years after Star Wars came out. It was an afterthought name that was put onto VHS when they rolled out The Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars is Star Wars. It is not a new hope. I I, I just have to make that abundantly clear uh, because it drives me crazy when people say a new hope. The new hope is a meaningless title. It means nothing. It was, ne- it was never the title of the movie, and we need to stop talking about episode four, A New Hope, as, as, as if that's the title of the movie because it wasn't. It's Star Wars. Uh, now – now, regard. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. Please. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. It was never meant to be. All those things are very basic. They're very yeah. simple. Yeah. I, I think when they. But my question to you is: I think when they had to come up with this name, they had to think of something. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the Phantom Menace are the Sith from the outside. The Phantom Menace is Anakin. The Jedi don't know what to do with them. They're wondering who this prodigal son is coming in. They created this age thing where it's like somebody shows up. Oh, you're not welcome. The prodigal son, higher than Yoda, shows up. Oh, he's too old. That's it. That's it. And the thing is, he's the menace because the Jedi are in power. 
and he's going to bring balance to the force, but they're in power. So balance would be them being lower, Sith going higher. That happens. But that's, that's just an important thing to understand within this film. Right. And I could theoretically give some credit to that if you had an element where Anakin was misleading the the phantom menace to me is is uh palpatine he's the phantom menace he's the ghost he's the one pulling the strings he's the one misleading things and so it, it, he to me he's the phantom menace um but i i it, 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 i mean it, it's what it's called i I find the title a little bit laugh, uh, laughable, but is it the worst title I've ever heard in a movie? No. Um, quite frankly, I think it's a it's better. Badass. I think it's a badass. I think it's a, I think it's a better title than A New Hope, um, and which is why I had to go on a little rant there because it drives me crazy when people like say, "Oh, A New Hope." There is no A New Hope. That is not a title that exists. That is an afterthought that was created three years after the movie. And anybody that ever would have saw the movie in 1977 and go to the theater, there is no episode for A New Hope. It just says fucking Star Wars. And you get the opening crawl of what's going on with the movie. You know what I mentioned how some people try to give George Lucas more credit. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a that's a fun thing I've thought of. Now we're having a you know a conversation about it. Maybe maybe it is just Palpatine. You know, I don't know. I don't maybe, know. Maybe it is. Who yeah. knows? And I don't I, know. I, I and, and as much as I, you know, like why I was I'm, I'm excited to go on this ride with you is one. I fucking love you, and I, I and my you. and the viewers love you. I mean, you're you're. You're Johnny Bones, you know what I mean? You're you, you you have this presence and you've got this aura and you got this passion that when you speak, you know, it, it it translates. And I think it's also fun when we have a conversation and I feel that it can go back and forth, you know, where maybe we don't necessarily agree. When we agree, it's it's magic. But at the end of the day, you're a Spurs guy and I'm an arsenal guy. So we're gonna butt heads, you know, we've got different philosophies. And this might be the episode I've been looking forward to the most because of the fact that I don't enjoy this movie and I watch this movie because you wanted to chat about it, but it also, and I'm not trying to change your mind. I don't think you're trying to change my mind. We're just trying to talk to each other about the things that we like, the things we don't like. And this movie, there is a conversation that should happen about this movie. This is still a culturally relevant movie. And this is coming from somebody that does not like this movie. This in the past 30 years is one of the most important movies made period full stop. And I don't like it, but it still is an important movie because of the fact that it is a star Wars film. And there had never been a movie as John and I talked about that had ever had as much expectation coming into it ever, ever. It's a, it's a hard thing to take. It's a hard challenge to take on. And they did. And I guess to me, I just hope people get their props. I, 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 
I just maybe that's why I feel people it's underappreciated. I think it's a better movie than the majority of people, but that's okay. And I can live with that. And it's and it's hundred percent okay. Hey Andrew. Yo yo yo. Hey, do you know when I really try to break down this movie, we talked about how hard it was to kind of put it in a category. I could only think of one movie, feature film, that I could put in the same kind of like genre, kind of idea. Do you, do, do you have any movies maybe that, like when you were trying to put this, like what category do I put it in? Like a comparison? Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, you, and this is what, I don't know if you can compare it, but it was tough. And it's one of those things I went through and I was like, man, but all these movies keep being sequels. Right. So recently wonder woman 1984 came out and I almost think that might be one of the few. And it, it was not, not a lot of people were huge fans of it. I watched it recently and I thought there were parts where they were trying to write things into the script and maybe this is something you could, you read a lot of scripts, right? I, I think yeah. that's what you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's what you did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, some would say I wrote a lot of scripts, but. <laughs> well, and maybe you could speak to just the idea of having to write a story after, like, you have to write something. It's nothing new. You have to write something that fits. Like, an, it, it maybe as like a, a young film writer, the difficulties within that or maybe some of the uh the pitfalls within like like to me i think some of the things within this show by the way we're going to talk a little bit about the show again like r2d2 c3po like uh, i was uh, like man why they put them in there but when you watch the trailer and it's an origin show it's an origin show that's why they're in there um but maybe you could tell talk a little bit about some of the pitfalls somebody might have when writing a script or a prequel once again they don't come along often yeah they don't come along often and it's interesting to bring this up because of you know of this task that i've been working on for shit at this point we're in 2021 four years i've been working on some like a a specific project for four years on an existing world and i and i and i had some things that work some things that don't work and i'm really hopeful that this year i'm able to uh get it where i want it to be but maybe it's 2022 i don't know but trying to trying to find like it's like you have this shell of a puzzle and then you're trying to create the the puzzle pieces right you you already know the holes but you don't already have but you don't have that existing puzzle piece to put in that missing hole like so you already have like all right well these are the holes but i don't have the puzzle piece to put in that hole so you have to create it right and so it's a very daunting task. Did that did that make sense? I, oh I, yeah. Okay. What I what I picture is a complete puzzle if it's perfect, but on the outer rims there's still a few pieces hanging off. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like the pieces still fit, but there's these other kind of little one end stories that end somewhere. I suppose. Right. Sure. 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 <laughs> you sure. Know, just like yeah, you didn't get the end of it. Yeah. So yeah, it just didn't have the time. That movie hasn't come out yet. Right. And it's tough. Yeah. It, it, it's tough. But the problem that exists in the case of George Lucas is the fact that 
he set a world where everything we knew was the middle chapters. And he set a world where he he lied to us and said that he knew the beginning trilogy, where in point of fact he didn't. He didn't know. He had he had the outer shell of a puzzle and he didn't know the other pieces that he wanted to put here and there. He didn't know. He didn't. This is something that may change over our conversations throughout the year. And I, I'm interested to just it's going to be fun. George Lucas, I'd just be interested to hear about your thoughts of, of now being older and more experienced and somewhat, you know, being in the business and stuff. Do you ever just think it would be like, man, great call right off the bat, go for the merchandising, you know, like risky move, great call. Oh, retitle, great call. You know, like, can you just walk me through his career? And as much as you might be angry at some of the decisions, how well he's played, like if he was a baseball player, he, he what, Hall of Famer, right? Oh, without a doubt, Hall of Famer. And um, so what I will say is he's one hell of a marketing businessman. I thought it was so smart for him just to get the Star Wars rights and he got the, the toys off. And that's one thing with this was I think he knew the money would be in the back end with the cartoons. Right. So a lot of ways where people might have spied or these movies didn't live up to those expectations. I guess I can blame George Lucas for this, but I think they were for monetary gains of, of setting up a cartoon. Maybe, maybe, because I will give the fact that he is probably one of the best marketers ever in the cinematic like universe, right? I mean, shit. When this trilogy came out, he marketed every aspect of this film. Yeah, Lay's Lay's chips bags. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember getting the posters. I had to get them at different times for Taco Bell. But if you actually went the two different years, three different years in a row, you could put them all together and collect them. Shit, they had they had like soda toppers where you would have the uh, Jar Jar Binks or that one weird flying Watto. Yeah. Watto. Watto. Know, yeah. Watto, yeah you, you'd have that. Like you had like these soda toppers yeah. and everywhere you went marketing market and George Lucas had his hand in everything and yeah. he was just making bank. And Maybe that was one of the things that also bothered me about about the trilogy or rather about this particular movie was it was more about the marketing than the film. I don't know. Um, maybe that's what bothered me or maybe it bothered me as a, a young writer and I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking of the thousands of ways that I would have written this story better in your opinion yeah in my opinion obviously yeah. in my, obviously everybody i and i've already said how i saw the movie right you know like we all saw the movie going our way and we all would have liked it better if it had gone our way and we're going to george lucas and the way he did it right. i think there's a lot of complaints to make within the movie of this movie in a lot of ways is a child's movie the next movie is a teen heartthrob movie, and the third film is an action movie. Like, I think it progresses as kids get older, and I think it's set up that way. And that's also how just Anakin ages. 
But I think within that was marketing. Within that was George Lucas trying to play for the crowds. Like, let's get all the kids involved. Let's, right. Let's and, set them up. And I agree. And no, 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 no. I and I agree. The problems that I had is that, in my opinion, he missed every step of the way in each film because of the fact that he never took the subject matter serious. Like everything was very cartoony. The, 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 the kids movie was very cartoony. The, the, the teen heartthrob uh, love story was car- very cartoony. The action movie that he made was very cartoony. It didn't have that same sincerity. And even if it, well, it was going to be a different movie than the original trilogy, fine. I had a hard time taking any element of this trilogy, but specifically this movie, because we're going to talk about this movie. At some point. Yeah, at some point we're going to talk Just about this. Just keep waiting yeah. after the next commercial. After the next commercial. <laughs> um, I, I felt the entire time I was watching this movie, it, was, it wasn't a George Lucas movie. It wasn't a George Lucas Star Wars movie. It was somebody like, hey, we're going to make a farcical Star Wars. It, it felt like an SNL Star Wars movie is how I felt when I watched it. Now, there were elements that I enjoyed, but in a, a two hour and 20 minute movie or whatever this was, I think there were 13 minutes of it that felt natural and organic. And maybe now might be the time to really kind of like start talking about the movie and the scenes. Let, let's let's get into it. And by the way, but I what but I will say is that I'm taking this episode very very seriously, and I'm going to hold it with sincere respect. I'm not going to um, disrespect the movie. I, I I you know I'm going to have a sincere conversation without just being a hater and shitting on the movie like oh so that was stupid that was stupid but i do want to have a conversation with you about this movie and let, let's get into it all right so after trying i think let's go planet by planet i think within this movie it's kind of easy to do that so there's naboo the jazz had their little meeting it didn't go well got blown up got to naboo i guess we went through and through uh <laughs> What was your, I guess, let me ask you this, I suppose. What was your favorite scene? In Naboo. Okay. So, (sighs) nothing that had to do with the Gungans because I thought that was terrible, right? So, when we first get to Naboo, we have um, Qui-Gon and he gets off the ship and he's running and he's running and then he's stopped by, and by the way, we're an hour and a half plus into this. And this is the first time we're mentioning Jar Jar Binks. Um, and he's run into by this, this amphibious elephant uh, that is Jar Jar Binks. Well, and, and to, get, to get into the scene, I think you have a militaristic empire crushing down trees destroying the local inhabitants, running things away. And yeah, you have Jar Jar Binks going, ah, 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 
he runs into Qui-Gon and, mm-hmm. and yeah, basically Qui-Gon just basically tackles him. Thing flies over their head and he commits a life debt to him. Right. Yeah. And here, here I think here's one of those things that I got on board with the last time I watched it. Any of those little scenes, any of those little things, just realize the force is in favor of positive people. So, like, where he's just like, I owe you a life debt. I think Lucas put that in there because it's like, okay, because we need Jar Jar to play a role later on. This is this is the force in work. That is a positive spin. My aspect is George Lucas was... My my perspective is George Lucas was thinking, you know what? I could market this alien. Sorry, how is a just any individual from the middle of the jungle supposed to talk? Probably not like, excuse me. You know, probably doesn't say that. This is going to say, hello, how's it going? Nice to meet you. He's an indigenous something from... A swamp. Like, he's meant to be simple-minded in a sense. He's not quite as smart as a human, but he still speaks pretty well. He communicates. He's able even to say, like, I think, so I speak. And he's like, just because you speak doesn't mean you're smart. You know, like, why, you're like, why go on gin? Even if I gave that maybe he doesn't forget that he's banished or maybe he doesn't think that it's probably proper etiquette to jump 30 feet into the air to do a Olympic style like dive that we're just supposed to like, so oh yeah, this is no big deal. So two hours in, I finally realized, yeah, I am that, Lucas Defender. Uh, <laughs> those Gungans have short memories, okay? And I'm just going to tell you, I do think they may be Force-sensitive beings. Um, the, I don't think Qui-Gon's Jedi mind trick worked on the Gungan leader. And there's like a little bit of difference between the Gungans, like the Gungan leaders. I don't think so. No, not at all. Like... Jar Jar tells Qui-Gon as he walks out, there's a setting you up, you know? It, and the thing is, they were setting him up. They didn't think th- th- that he would make it through. Right. It, he was not confused at all. Um, but I think that's one of those things that they're trying to establish subtly, you know, through this movie. And it might have, you know, people might not have got it. But I think there's a lot of Force-sensitive beings Um but the force isn't the Jedi code. Like you don't, you don't gotta be a doctor to try to help somebody, you know, if they got a cut, like, I don't think you gotta live life by the Jedi code, but if you feel the force, like that's kind of the idea. Like Jar Jar Binks is writing the force. But then again, that's, anyways, that, that's how I feel about it. That's how I feel about the Gungans. They're very, uh, they're an advanced race. Live in Wait, they're, they're an advanced race? Well, there are things about their civilization or within the planet, right? Like, they they didn't fly there. That They're an indigenous species, right? Yeah. But when you look at some of the architecture and building in Naboo, I don't think it's set up for people. Like, I think the humans like Padme came and conquered 
and they drove them out into the swamps. Sure, 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 sure. I so there's want- this re- Oh, well, go ahead. No, I, I, I was going to say, all right, I, I'll go on that leap. I I feel for the sake of time. Let's continue, continue on. They are a amphibious race that maybe are more advanced. They are a comedic amphibious race. I mean, they're, it, it's hard to take them seriously when the, the land dwelling creatures, the humans kind of think of them as an afterthought kind of like the simple minded folk so they think of them as lesser beings yeah those simple folk were able to have an army right like those it one of those things when they come together they meet to make a treaty it's at a sacred place jar jar tells them about it it's in the middle of somewhere it's a sacred place the heads they're standing on are human-looking heads. They're not. They're not Gungan heads, and, it, and that's one of those things. Is like there's human heads. It's a sacred place for the Gungans. Something with humans and Gungans happened good there, and it might have been something with the treaty with the Naboo, you know. But like that's that planet coming back together to defeat this enemy, and this is really one. And we'll we'll get to the the battle the end when we get there but it really makes me think about in the battle that george lucas uses a technique it reminds me so much of world war ii and i remember in the original films he used footage of world war ii movies as a film director like how you use do you know what i mean or where i'm going with that about how to well, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to see, you know, keep going, but I'm, I'm missing where you're trying to connect. Well, I, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about how, like how George Lucas went in the cock, in the shooting scene from the Millennium Falcon, when, when Luke's in there and there, and, and he showed footage of World War II shows where they're doing it. And then whenever I watch, uh, the battle sequence and it just reminds me of something out of world war two and cannons. So so I guess in a way, like I want to give you a platform to speak about actually movie. Like as fun as these things are, I think it's also important. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong, but talk, talk about the movie filmmaking process. And I do find those things fascinating, but I guess where I want to push the conversation to is it doesn't have to be about George Lucas, but how well i think you know where well, i'm going what 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 i find interesting is when you're talking about that when i think about this movie and i think about the original trilogy and and how they're filming action sequences obviously technology plays a massive part but one of the the strengths of the original trilogy is the use of miniatures um, and and how they how they film that versus the use of this one where it was on the forefront of CG and George Lucas wanted to use new technology on how I'm going to film this fight sequence doing this or now I'm going to introduce droids where I had droids before but they were miniatures and now the droids I'm going to use are all computer technology I'm going to do these fight sequences but 
the problems that I have, and it's not even a fault of George Lucas. It's, it's, it's a critique that I have with many, many action films even today is that filmmakers opt for modern day technology as opposed to a more visceral, realistic, albeit like albeit kind of sometimes cheesy, like organic like matter uh, that sometimes can like take away from elements of it. But shit, sometimes that 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 organic batter looks more more real and relatable than than throwing uh, a lot of expensive technology into it and shit uh, just because we're I mean now we're comparing a land war versus a, a space war but the the Gungan battle versus the droid army didn't hold a candle to that that first siege against the original Death Star when when those were just tiny miniatures in space with a camera just tracking tracking a ship and then putting in little like lasers against a Death Star and and now twenty two years later we're seeing these real high tech battles that didn't have that same type of that that same type of realism that or or maybe not even realism wow factor and maybe maybe that's something that George Lucas thought he had with the early stages of CG because it was still relatively it was still relatively new even though matrix came out and blew our fucking minds but George, but George Lucas didn't see the Matrix. He had no idea. You know, he was still rolling with ILM and what they were doing. So maybe he thought the battle that he had with the Gungans versus the Droid Army was like was was life changing. Uh, uh, just you just made me think. Like I wish I could have been sitting next. I would have been fourteen at the time, but sitting next to George Lucas when he saw the Matrix. Right, right. <laughs> and he'd yeah. be like, "Oh, I gotta bring my game." Yeah. And now he's got three more to go. But like, yeah, yeah that that's a wake up call. But di- different technologies at the right. time, different companies. Oh yeah. man, that yeah, absolutely. Uh, George to George. I, I think well, yeah, I, I, I will say to George because without well, him, we wouldn't even have this conversation. You know what I mean? And and I feel like I, I you know, and it's something I want to be very careful because I feel like I Monday morning quarterback a lot uh, about him just only because I, I do love this this franchise. You know, I mean, it was so important in my life, and it still is. Um, it's just this one particular trilogy just didn't live up to my own personal expectations of what I wanted it to be is, is something. And again, as stated five hours ago, whenever we started this podcast, <laughs> um, uh, I, I was, I was ready. I was excited. I was pumped and I drank that Kool-Aid. I saw it twice in one 24 hour period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Man, like, nice. Yeah, you know, and um, but I also think we we should hold our legends accountable. And if there are things that we 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 feel that are 
elements of that there are elements of improvement we should talk about them but at the same time i realized that i have my own flaws because i still listener fucking deal with it i still like the final season of game of thrones yeah it could have been improved but i still like that final season i'm sorry i know it might be a hot take but i still enjoy it man all right here we go we're gonna get into we're gonna get into this we're gonna we're gonna this is the one this is it this is it two (laughs) hours into it boom what are your highlights of this movie okay the pod race scene okay I tell you what, I'm putting on my notes. So, uh, the pod racing. I don't think there's another part in Star Wars, any of the genres, it has like a sporting athletic event. So, within the pod scene, it's a spectacle. So, now we're like, at, at this point, I'm going to try not to go back and forth. Like, the idea of like, it was the fourth one, so everyone's mad at it, but now there's nine, so it's less judgmental. Either way, blah, blah, blah. There are nine. There's 11 movies. There's The Mandalorian. We're going to go through them. The pod racing is so cool. It's a sport. It's probably the only sporting event that I can think of. And some of the things going into it, his mom tells him to be safe, which his mom, there are questions about her. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> but she tells them to be safe, which I love. I love you. She tells them to be safe. And Qui-Gon tells them to just be mindful of the present. And there are so many little clips within that scene when they're flying through. It's one of those things. It's not just like a race. I think it's more like a, a movie like Le Mans would have where like there's there's multiple stages. So within the race, there are setup scenes that you see the angles on the first lap you see the Tuscan Raiders on the second one or, or they're shooting them and then you know like so there are multiple little parts within the scene and I think the words are like be safe be present are the main things going through the pottery scene because there's another guy whose vehicle stalls out but he doesn't figure it out Anakin does you know and he goes and it and it is said, like, he's the best mechanic. He's figured it out. He's meant to be a savant. And we've spoke about how, like, young the guy is. But I think that's – I think this is one of the things that sucks for Jake Lloyd is they wanted to cast somebody so young so he seems so above his age. So he's been the guy who built it. Most of those things in the race crashed because they were broken because somebody didn't put them together right. But there's also little things where like uh, Sepulva, who, you know, is his main rival, who I think they kind of do a good job of making him not Boba Fetish, but like a villain. And he, the thing is like his racer and Anakin's racer are very similar set up. But his racer is very big and bulky, and he uses it to bully people. But there's multiple little parts within it where, like, he he pushes somebody against the rail and destroys them. or Well, not the rail, but the wall. You see the rail early in the film, but that's another thing where the directors set that up. They, they, they show people fly by. They show the little don't fly. And that's another thing where it's just like, I give George... Lucas credit for setting that up that he showed the exit ramp early on in the third you know or in the first one he he kind of is setting the scene uh 
So when you watch it, you really get the feel by the third lap, you really start getting the feel of the track and what's against them. So by the third lap, uh, Sepulveda's out ahead, and then you got Anakin, and there's another guy, and the Tuscan Raiders are shooting, and Anakin just knuckles down, and the other kind kind of gets scared, and they get him. And by the way, shout out to the Tuscan Raiders. By the way, I love that scene. That was probably my favorite scene in the movie when I started seeing them taking pot shots at people. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I don't know how any of the characters, I, not to say I would shoot at somebody, but like I kind of identified with those people and I'd be just hanging around the track, kind of poor, whatever, just like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. oh, sorry about that. No, no uh, you're, you're fine. I think, I think that's the only, the third F1 we dropped this one. Pretty good. Yeah. The thing is, you need an outlet to say it. Thank right? you. Right. Like it, it, you know, get it out here. Yep. There you go. I don't say it to my daughter, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so we're but, okay. But here's the thing: is well, one day your daughter might listen to these. That how like here's here's the thing: if we can have a sidebar for a yes, second, yeah, one sidebar show. Yeah, I mean this that's is, that, this, that's it. This you is know? the one because we've been on topic this entire time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. That, that that's kind of like one of the things that's exciting about doing these podcasts is the fact that you and I, we can, we can chat about it, but we're launching this into the stratosphere. Right. And who knows, who knows who's listening. I had a viewer last week in India. I know nobody in India, but somebody was listening to it in India and that's kind of cool. Right. So I, I, I shout yeah. out to India. Yes. If you, if you if you listen to this one, I would love to know who your favorite cricket team is. They will now become my favorite cricket team. Oh, there we go. Yeah, and that we will buy a jersey of that cricket team because both John and I will do, or maybe and not. Scarf. But scarf, scarf, scarf. There scarf. you go. Yeah, we'll definitely rep those colors. Uh, so yeah, if you're listening in India, let us know who your cricket team is because that will be our favorite cricket team. Pakistan sucks. <laughs> <laughs> a cricket, a cricket, a cricket, a cricket, a cricket. A cricket. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, we we create these episodes, and who knows, you know? And it's it's it it's a neat that shit you know um hopefully not but i could be gone tomorrow right but this is out there and if my daughter wants to listen in 10 20 years she can find it and that, that that's kind of cool right we're, we're creating something bigger oh yeah than 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 we even process right now that's neat and that's neat and you gotta love technology so i mean granted technology isn't perfect but in this circumstance it's it's kind of cool that we're doing something that that anybody that wants to, they have access to it. I agree. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited. Uh, Tatooine. Tatooine is a fun, interesting area because that's the part where George Lucas kind of brings it back, right? Like on the on the way there, you see R2-D2. And this is one of those things you're just like, why are they bringing R2-D2 back in it? But when I see it, it's like, that's what he was meant to do. Like, it's a perfect thing. Like, he gets shot up into the building. Ghost fixes it. He does the R2 thing. 
and I thought it was really cool for the Nubian ship. He saves the day. And I thought it was a great way to bring him into it. We meet C-3PO. And it's the part where watching this time, I really think though the reason why they're bringing him in is because those guys are going to be the guys who tell the story at the end. Anybody who's a Game of Thrones fan, I don't know if it's going to be Tyrion or Sam the Slayer who tells the story of Game of Thrones, but I would say those are the guys who are going to write the books, one of the two of them. In Star Wars, I think C-3PO and R2-D2 are the people who are going to tell the story, and that is why it is important to introduce them in this film together. Yeah, I mean, they're the only ones that are in the entire the entire trilogy. Well, all, all nine movies oh. at this point. They're the ones that have the connection. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that if you just pull them on out, and they're joys, so they can live forever, right? Right. So, as Mazda was, and I was like, they could have had other joys. I think that's why they put those joys out there, was because it's like, at the end of the day, these, you know, R2D2 and C3V are the going to be the guys who tell the story. You know, maybe, maybe in. Episode 58, you know, whoever you run an R2D2 and C3PO and they're telling the stories, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Like, we, we've, uh, and granted, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but this has often been called like the, the Skywalker saga. But no, I think this is the, the, the R2 slash C3PO saga is the fact that they, they are the bridge that connects everything. Um, you know, when episode nine finally rolls around, or when it finally rolls around, Luke's dead. He's he's a force ghost, but R2D2 and C3PO, they're still around. I mean, they're granted they're robots, but Damn it! No, now, now there's Yoda too. Now there's Force Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, yeah, no, I guess anybody can tell the story yeah. now at this point. <laughs> like, I, I, I think uh, I really do. I think I think of R two D two and C three PO as they're they're the connective bind of this whole saga. You know, I'm shrugging uh, as if you 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 know what I'm doing, my body language, but. Like we call it the Star, uh, the, the Skywalker saga, but maybe that's the inaccurate terminology. Maybe this, the the saga that we're watching, really is C three PO, his creation to, you know, another genealogy where at the end, or not even the end, but midway through Episode Nine, where he's like, "All right, you're going to reset my memory." You know, I just want to say goodbye to my friends. Unfortunately, it, it that's not how it ends for him. But shit, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But we'll get there. We're we're going to get there. Yeah. But not, I we're think not getting awesome. there tonight. No, no, no. November. <laughs> but now, but that's what this. Oh man, just that George Lucas marketing doing the right thing. Like, when did this? When did start, people start referring to the first three as the Scar, the the Skywalker films, Disney Plus? Hmm. The Star Wars, uh, rather the, the Skywalker saga. I think it was just something that was kind of thrown into pop culture. 
maybe maybe at the turn of this century, maybe it was uh, the turn of this decade. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a terminology that has become canon that we use now. You know, very famously, I owned one of the last box sets of the original films on VHS set, and they are residing at a bar on Rennie Street. I won't tell you which bar, but on that box cover, because like those boxes would hold yep. the three movies, it said the Star Wars mm-hmm. trilogy. It didn't say the Skywalker Correct. trilogy. Yeah. It, it, it is a modern term. I'm pretty sure it's just set up for Disney Plus as a way to break it on down. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. But maybe this is where we're going to go. It is, let's see, I give it time. It is the Skywalker trilogy, but R2 and C3PO, in a way, will be the whole Star Wars. Yes. With bringing in the Mandalorians, we're going to alert R2D, who was seen in one of the episodes. It ties the whole thing in. Boom. All of a sudden, R2D, R2D, it's seven steps to Beacon. <laughs> Let's play seven steps to R2D2 at this point. Come on, people. Every movie. So those are the featured characters. And if they are, or whatever, then it makes sense as dorky as C3PO is to establish him in the first film. You got to put him in there with all the corny jokes and all the all the other things going sure, with it. But I will say that there is nothing corny about C3PO or R2D2. They are the life force that is this. They even in their comedic moments that they've got, their comic relief, they they don't take you out of the plot in the same way that some other comedic relief characters do. You know, they don't do any shit. Even even Jabba the Hutt biting the head off of a vermin and spitting it at like a batoon to make a like noise that takes you out of the plot. R2D like R2D2 and C3PO don't do anything that's that over the top that really like oh come on that that, that that's just silly. No 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 I'm with you. I think that's the retrospective version though. I think at the time when we saw it those were the connect- characters we were connected to. And so we we were more judgmental of them. At least that's how I found myself was I was mad at R2-D2 wondering, why are they even in this? Why, why are they seeing those things? Like, I, I resented the droids for being in it. But now knowing the whole story, I think it's cool that he'd see three videos out there holding a flag for Anakin before the pot race, you know? Uh, so, well, see, I, I, I appreciate it. And I, I really like that. Uh I got nothing against cool. Cool. Really like. uh, Keeping on, uh, we we backtracked about thirty minutes. But what else about the movie? We talked about the pod race. You like the pod race? What else do you like about the movie? Oh, thank you. So, course, yeah, man. Good looking planet. Yeah, city, entire city, uh, entire planet, city rather. City of lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Like this is one of those where 
original Star Wars fans have been like, what's the rest of the universe look like? So when this is set up, it's like, that's the capital. It's an entire planet like that looks like New York City. Yep. Yep. Now, were you aware that, because we know about Natalie Portman, are you aware of how much screen time that Keira Knightley had in the movie? No, especially not at the time. You I mean, know now, now, right? And there's, okay. Yeah, I know now. Yeah, I I think there's uh, who's the who's the other actress who's a handmaiden? There's Is it Rose fi- Byrne? Is Rose? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Um, which once again, great casting. Well, mm-hmm. well done. Uh, but. No, I mean, at the, at the time, I had no idea. I didn't know who Natalie or Kira Natalie was still probably Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, she hadn't even been in it yet. No, yeah. I thought you were going to ask about Terrence. Is it Terrence Stanton? <laughs> uh, my distant relative. Um, I, 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 That's who I thought you were really going to go with because I am a huge Youngins <laughs> fan. <laughs> And, yeah, no, in a, in a perfect world, I, I, I wish I was related to Terrence Stamp. And maybe I am related to Terrence Stamp. I don't know. But he was great uh, in his limited role. But no, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about Kira Knightley. And I, I wanted to talk about her because of the fact that one of the things that had always taken me out of this movie was the accent that Natalie Portman would have as Padme versus her accent as Queen Amidala with all of her avant-garde hair that she would have. But a lot of that stemmed from the fact that she had a decoy. And part of the reason why that worked or maybe didn't work, depending on how you look at it, is that Kara Knightley would do an accent and Natalie Portman would do an accent and neither one of their accents were really their real voice. They were trying to find something that kind of worked for both of them as they were trying to take on this queen role. And you had a 17 year old, 18 year old Natalie Portman and what a a 12 year old Kira Knightley, 13 year old Kira Knightley. Um, and try to do this this Amidala kind of role, and it, and it's wild now in, in in the presence of hindsight. But like there is a age gap, and when you look at Kira Knightley, I'm pulling it up right now. Kira Knightley, episode one. I wish I had this prepared, but. Uh, this is a great story. I'm just imagining, you know, a bunch of, you know, actually, you know, just like people who before they were famous, just hanging out, playing together, which is exactly what the people of Naboo would do. Like, I, I think he was setting up a good environment where, you know, a hostage and a queen would be hanging yeah, out together. So uh, just to bring it back, because I, 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 I kind of want to talk about it. So Natalie Portman, when she filmed this movie, would, would have been like 17 or 18, where Kira Knightley is four years younger. So 
Now, we might not think of a ton of difference, but let's put in the context of Anakin Skywalker versus Padme, and they're supposed to be a romantic couple, and we're supposed to buy that scenario. And Jake Lloyd was, what, seven years younger than Natalie Portman during the filming? But in the, ta- in, in the context of Kara Knightley, Kara Knightley was like 14, 15 when she shot this movie playing the same character, the same character, or rather the decoy as Natalie Portman, who was 18, 19 years old. And so when you watch this movie and you're kind of like taken, like, wait, that's not Natalie Portman. No, it's a 14-year-old Kira Knightley playing an 18-year-old Natalie Portman. And it's something that now I find interesting because of the fact of who Kira Knightley is. Well, no, and I'm just going to start following these in the category of uh, pro Lucasisms. I don't even know what else to call them at this point. But it's just like, hey, they weren't meant to be established to be love characters, Andrew. They were, <laughs> you know, they were just meant to meet. It's an origin story. Like, you know, somebody who's five, six years younger is no big deal them getting together. And I do think some of the big things is her portrayal as kind of a, a double, you know, a double spy, you know, she's subterfuge is a word I thought about with her. It was just like, she kind of, she's kind of in the background. She wants to be involved and she meets Anakin but they're not meant like they weren't meant to fall in love. She's just a queen walking around trying to figure out what's new in the world and stuff. So if you watch this movie thinking it, they were going to fall in love, that's a waste of time in this movie. So, so don't, don't worry about that. They're trying to, and this, I guess this is goes back to me doing another love defend George Lucas. I'm going to do this all night, four more hours. I'm a filibuster, but they had, other more important things to establish than a love relationship, which they kind of tried to do with this little scene where he gives her a necklace. They kind of try to establish it, but there's a lot of other things to concentrate on. We've talked about everything else for three hours. There's a lot to concentrate on. So the love story between them, don't waste your time. If you're listening to this before you go rewatch the show. Well, so Natalie Portman, what I really, this is one of the great things about her character, strong female, you know, like go back to 1999. You want to go back to the matrix. You brought a lot of times. Who's the lead, you know, who's the badass? Well, I mean, well, anyway, Moss is cool, but Natalie Portman is cool as well. She's the queen. She comes up with a plan to take back her planet and it resolved peace. I used to get so mad because it's like who what planet in this world would elect a child you know like what what you know who would ever elect them as their leader but one of the first things is the trade federation is coming in and she's like well hey we don't want to go to war but she does come back and she does save the day and i just want to give them credit as uh because she's a strong character she is a strong character she is a strong character um and I 
one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite characters in the film, I felt some of her dialogue was a little bit hokey, but I thought Natalie Portman did a good job. At times, I was taken out by the accent, but that was more as the Amidala character, not necessarily the Padme character. But uh, why was she your favorite? No, character? she was my favorite character. I thought she was one of the stronger characters. And who was your favorite? My character? favorite character was was Obi Wan Kenobi, aka um, Obi, uh, Ben Kenobi, aka portrayed by. Ewan McGregor, and one, he felt like he was the most natural at giving the lines that he was given. And one of the critiques that I have with this movie is that the dialogue was very plasticky. It never, it never really felt realistic. But one, I felt that he was able to make the dialogue work, and two he was able to tap into a character that already existed. And that was Alec Guinness's uh, version. Yeah. He actually, he actually had a blueprint. Mm -hmm. He he was the, he was the one guy who, who, and if you're going to get a blueprint, Alec Guinness is a pretty good one. You've got one of like the finest character actors of the fifties and sixties. And you had a really fantastic actor in Ewan McGregor playing a really good actor. And he knew the character he was trying to do. And he was able to do that. And his stunt work, I thought, was perfection. I thought his stunt work that he did and the stunt uh, the stunt actors he had were really, really good. But he did a lot of his own stunts. And I thought he did a superb, superb job. And maybe it's no coincidence that Ewan McGregor is in, you know, my top three favorite actors that I've ever watched on camera. But um, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed him. And he, for me, was my saving grace in this entire two hour movie. As a stars fan, in some ways you got to hold on to those things. Mm-hmm. I find the more times I watch them, the more I find I can hold on to more. <laughs> oh, but you, you mentioned, um, and we talked about it before peak you McGregor, right? Let's talk about Duel of Fates. Let's talk about the battle. Let's talk about... I really think we kind of... I'd like to really just talk about Ewan McGregor versus Darth Maul. Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. And there's a lot of little lead-ins to that. One of the things I kind of realized was they are on Darth Maul's territory uh, in a sense that they were on Naboo for a short time. They flew on the plane. They got in the hangar. They flew out. For this scene, they got in the hangar. The guys flew to attack the base. Emperor Trap, maybe. I don't know. But they fought this. We know they didn't go in the other room. They fought Darth Maul in the other room. He took him to the split environment where he got him. You know, he's kind of on their angle, and he's got two sabers. He held that back. He didn't fight Qui-Gon Jinn earlier with two. Like, he is such a Sith, and he and he holds stuff so much stuff back. I think it's funny how he kind of slow plays things and he ends up getting Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in this little angle. And there's these doors that close. And when the doors close, Darth Maul kind of checks it. And I think that's kind of an indicator that, all right, now, now it's not his territory. You know, now, 
nozzle will open. He checks it. And Qui-Gon rests and he thinks. Darth Maul, you know, gets a little pissed off. They go to the fight. And Darth Maul just takes him to the circle where he can go two-on-one. And he ends up getting them. And what's cool is, like, Obi-Wan goes... And I think this goes to that original message of be mindful of the present. I think Obi-Wan thinks about it. And he what and this is like the whole other thing is like all the Jedi say and the, how the force moves, like all things they say, it all goes to play. And oh and Qui-Gon Jen has told Obi-Wan, like, you're gonna be a great Jedi knight one day. And he goes in and he does take him to like he fights him and if you actually watch the choreograph of the footwork, Darth Maul brings him in. He tries to take him to the circle and Obi-Wan kind of comes in and commits and then goes back. Darth Maul comes back up. Obi-Wan comes back in, takes off the saber. So now it's that. So didn't Darth Maul, like that was the advantage he had over Qui-Gon, but he doesn't have that now. So now he comes back in and he, he unveils once again, the Sith are always holding some back. He unveils his other thing he knows, which is the Force push. They're both apprentice. This, this was epic about this scene. It's blue versus red. In the in the scene before that, when the fight was happening, there was blue versus red versus green with a purple atmosphere in the background, which purple means something later. We'll get to that. Mace Windu hint. But like literally, in this scene, you got this great choreograph, great footwork. It, and Obi-Wan, the great Jedi Knight that Qui-Gon talked about, like, he locks him down, but he didn't see the Force push. He's still young, and it knocks him. And he gets knocked off the rail, and he's there. And I can still remember back in, like, let's go back to 1999. People used to be like, how did Obi-Wan jump over him and grab the saber? Darth Maul underestimated him. The first thing the emperor told Luke is it's like, you, you know, you're overconfidence or, you know, it's like, that's a flaw. So the fact that Darth Maul, I think, push Obi-Wan made him think that he didn't have the ability to use the living force. So the fact that Obi-Wan used the living force to kill him. Yeah, that makes sense. Like it, and it sets him up as a, a great Jedi Knight, and in my opinion, I'm going to say it here, and I think you might agree with me, the greatest Jedi Knight to ever live. Well, I mean, Yoda would probably have something to say about it. He's the greatest Jedi Master. That, 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 that That's my defense <laughs> to that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay. But 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 for probably like 600 years, Jedi or Yoda probably did just let that Jedi go downhill. Maybe Jedi, yeah, maybe, no, maybe, maybe, maybe Yoda was the worst Jedi. Like he had centuries of maybe being able to figure this shit out. And he like, now that he's 800 some odd years old, he was like, Oh, by the way, maybe I should have paid more attention to that. Like that Palpatine dude. Well, here's the thing. It's like, People want to talk about Quentin Tarantino scenes. I'm not talking about these have those scenes. But in the Jedi Council, I think there is a lot of acting involved. I think they're they're very short, but they give Anakin the test. He passes all the tests he, he, without flying. And then they try to find a flaw in him. And you got Mace Windu, who 
I think as you know where the story goes and who Mace Windu becomes, if you watch those scenes, I think Samuel L. Jackson actually does a. Re- How did we not say Samuel L. Jackson was in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> to, to bring it back to, to before the rant I went on um, by the way if you're drinking when you listen to these you can drink every time I rant um, <laughs> but you're talking about Ewan McGregor and I and I just really dove deep into the choreograph work of him versus Darth Maul and I guess to bring it back to there and to the Duel of Fates if you want to if you have any ideas so uh, let's talk about Duel of Fates you mentioned it a couple times so what is that it's a song by John Williams. Probably, he's a okay. composer. Never heard he's of him. He's probably nope, nope. He did the other Star Wars films, the ones you're referencing earlier. He also did the little ones like Joss, E.T. Well, I was thinking Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Jurassic well, Park. I was kind of thinking about like you know, it's like Spielberg, Lucas. Is there another director he? You know, like he's mainly Spielberg, right? Would be his go-to. That, and he did a lot of work with uh, Chris Columbus, um, Harry Potter, uh, Home Alone. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The best. Can we just no, say he the is, best? He is the best. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm going to drink hey. one of the goat. But no, the Duel of Fates. And maybe uh, you're a music guy, believe it or not. Where do you put the Duel of Fates in John Williams Star Wars songs? Okay, I'll, I'll put it in my I'll put it in my top ten. But here's what I will say: the Imperial March is my number one. Uh, my number two is Jaws. My number three is. I was just doing it to Star Wars. Oh, sorry. just in Star Wars. Okay, because I'm like. Yeah, I just want, just want okay. to keep it tight. Uh, Imperial March. Yeah, Imperial March. It, well, hold on. Sorry, sorry. If you're ready and you have a whole top ten, I'm happy to hear it. Well, I, I I've got, I've, I've got a few, but. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's go for right. it, man. So again, Imperial March is my number one. Uh, my Jaws is my number two. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, E.T. Um opening credits for star wars um what would i have after that harry uh, believe it or not harry potter fundamentally love harry potter number six uh home or rather number seven i guess that is is home alone a uh, big fan of home alone um so so and not to cut you off but i am <laughs> They're all movies from kind of like different genres, yeah, different yeah, fields. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And great, great, great movies. He's been connected to them all. Um, within the Star Wars universe, Duel of Fates. It's a great song. Is, great to me, song. I, I, I think within itself, even if you watch the videos, because I'm going to put it out there. It. <laughs> It is either the, it's probably the second best lightsaber battle you get the entire Star Wars. The, what are we talking about? Like the fir, the original trilogy and this one? Or are you, are you talking about all of them? 
Well, this is one of those things that I think Phantom Menace gave us a better lightsaber battle than any of the originals did. But I think this battle is good. And to me, and it might change over time. This is another thing that my pain might change. I'm, believe it or not, I'm interested. I'm going to rewatch them, give them another try. I'm going to be open. But I think Anakin versus Obi-Wan one is number one. I think this one's number two. And probably Vader versus Lucas three in my top three lightsaber battles. And I think all of that is fair. My only critique is that these were so well done. They felt over choreographed. There's 15 minutes, 11 to 15 minutes in the movie that I think are, you know, like I enjoy and the lightsaber fighting is really, really great. And some of the things that George Lucas got right. And I didn't think I'm, as I think it's abundantly clear, I didn't think he got a ton right, but I thought that he did a good job with his fight sequence or his action sequences. I think he does a good job with action. One thing I want to point out in this point is I do remember early footage and early interviews of him saying about how he wanted the Jedi to be more Mm. refined. Okay. And that wasn't, that's not a Lucasism of today me just fine. That was him from interviews, and this is a John Rowe memory. Take it for leave it, but I would say it's more than fifty one percent correct. Uh, but from the early stage, he talked about how he wanted the Jedi to seem like they came from a refined day, where they were better at lightsaber skills. I think one of the things that showed with Qui Gon was he he wasn't quite ready. He didn't quite understand when Darth Maul came flying at him at Tatooine. When he jumped off, he was a bit tired. Like, he wasn't quite used to that fighting. And I do think that it, it I remember interviews where he said uh, that. Admittedly, I would, like to, I would like to spend a little bit more time talking about two or rather, I think we've talked a l- enough about Qui-Gon. I think Qui-Gon, we, we've, we've set our piece. Yeah, I think we've set our pieces, but I think I think we should talk a little bit about a little bit more about uh, Jar Jar. And I think we should talk a little bit about about Darth Maul because of the fact that these were their this was their movie. I mean, this was really we're introduced to this character. And granted, based on audience feedback, we kind of pretend, try to pretend he never existed. Um, and then another character, we're introduced to a big bad, and then we kill him off in the final act. But they are two of the central, most important figures in this movie. To me, that's one of those things. When, when I go into this movie now, I get hyped up because, to me, I think it should be called The Battle of the Apprentices. Because you got Obi Wan, Darth Maul, there's Anakin as the Dark Horse, and like it, it all comes together in the fight, and that's why there's so much cloudiness and it's phantom. Who knows? But like that's really what it comes down to is like these apprentices and how they're raised. Um, so I get excited when I reach it, rewatch this movie because I guess in a way I know, sadly enough, I know where they go. It's sad. <laughs> like Obi-Wan Kenobi greatest Jedi Knight of all time guess what he does lives on a desert you know Anakin Skywalker 
Could have been the greatest of all time. Guess what he does? Turns into a machine. Does nothing. Corrupt. You know, it's like there's so much promise and built. Like there's so much potential available. So when I go back and rewatch this movie, it's a lot. Like when I rewatch season one of Game of Thrones, it's like look at all these kids. <laughs> but but when it gets down to the fight, I get super excited because it all. I think the music and the song Duel of Fates are really, it's all up for grabs. And uh, yeah, I, you know what? I don't have much else to say on Padme. I think Jar Jar Binks, I made my case on. They said he's a simpleton from a simple-minded creature folk. So the idea of him talking, right? You, you know what? I will, I'll bring up one thing. This is how the force works in their culture because they're a very force sensitive culture in my mind and my canon. So everybody's like, why make Jar Jar the bomb bon general? He kills so many people. That's the good Gungan, you know, like that's why he's the boss of Gungan, but he kills so many people. That's the force working. But one of the things we talked about was one of the things I really enjoyed in this film. Now I thought would have been harder was, how to make a movie set in the past with better technology. So it's like, we're going to show this cooler, but we may, we need to make it look older. So within that movie, I thought the battle had a lot of uh, elements of world war two. And you had these simpleton mind people and stuff like that. But with Jar Jar and keeping in mind that in my, when I watched it, I think it reminds me of world war two Paris or something like that. I'm not going to lie. Jar Jar jumps under this little car and he goes, and, he, and the words are, this is nuts. But the way Jar Jar says it, he goes, this is nutsy. And I swear he is saying, this is Nazi. And I kind of think that that's what George Lucas was trying to put through the whole film with an evil dictator of Palpatine taking power. And you got these cannons destroying indigenous people and I he probably didn't mean it but this is not this is this is Nazi you know sounded sounded right like this is right. Nazi they're taking this over they're, they're and you didn't have a group of people coming together and the weird thing is, I haven't figured this out. Maybe somebody could tell me. I always assumed Queen Amidala kind of sur surrendered the planet to the Gungans. So the idea of young Anakin, who, and actually, we're going to have to go back in a second and talk about the Yoda Obi-Wan conversation. I think that would be important to go into. But the idea of Anakin at this parade seeing peace but peace is the gungans taking over you know like peace! <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, that's what peace is huh so it, you know it's like that's a fun scene but that's it, you know like think about anakin as a child being established that's what he sees uh i just want to touch one note on the Anakin Yoda, or sorry, Obi-Wan Yoda scene. Because 
to go back to three hours ago when I was talking about Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> um, this is some hard closing. He goes, he goes, he goes to Obi Wan. He's like, "Hey, man, we're gonna take you into the Jedi Knight, which Obi Wan, or sorry, which Qui Gon has said, you're gonna be a great one. We're gonna let you in." And he's like, "But not with Anakin." But he made that promise, and I guess this is the beautiful thing with Obi Wan, the character, with Hugh McGregor and his portrayal. He nails it. It's a tough one, and and I guess and keep in mind, it's not like these are emotional beings; these are Jedi's who were kind of taught to get out. You know, he's like, "Nah, I ain't gonna do it." And I guess. I guess that's what that's the scene like the, you know the order the jedi order are telling him hey man you can do this or you can leave and he says no and that's the phantom menace <laughs> and that's the phantom menace <laughs> that, that's him accepted anakin mm-hmm. that's they didn't want it they couldn't tell because it was cloudy all right. It was cloudy. Sorry. Okay, that's it. So, that's it. I'm- that, that's you, you, you completed your thesis. All right, Andrew, do you understand though? Like, if your football team was a you know in that realm, you'd be a Sith, and my team would be Jedi. We'd have blues lightsabers, and you had red ones. No, you you wouldn't have a lightsaber. You guys are white. You guys are cowards. That's your color, white. Uh, <laughs> do, you, do you feel like Queen Amidala, you know, who didn't have a lightsaber was white, who conquered her own planet back? That's what I'm saying. I think she did. You don't need a lightsaber. Use peace, people. Peace. I'm not saying shake hands anymore. We're living in 2021. You don't have to do that. But treat each other with equality. That's what this movie's about. That's, That's what, what it's about. Be. I'm signing off. I'm out of here. All right. Peace out, everybody. Uh, again. <laughs> so, John is gone for the evening. Uh, listeners, thank you very much for a a, uh, a wonderful season premiere for episode two, or rather season two, episode one of, of Stamper Cinema. Honestly, Tonight's been a lot of fun. We we have had a really great time, and I'm very appreciative for everybody that has been listening. And I'm very thankful for John Rowe for uh, for bringing this movie to the fold. He and I knew that this would be a a tough a tough venture because there's so much to unpack. Uh, he and I are both very very passionate Star Wars fans, and. Yeah, it's it's exhausting. This is I have no idea how long this episode is going to be, but I know that he and I have been recording for three hours and 15 minutes tonight. So we'll see what the final product is, because uh, I, I know there are certainly elements that need to be edited, but he will be back again in a month and um, we'll see how episode two goes. And if there's anything that I missed upon editing that we know that we could have covered, we'll revisit it. But again, audience, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. 
Oh my God, brother, I love you. Season two, we're back, y'all. We'll see you next week.